sea, and what looked like a tall man by the gate at dusk was a yew-bush cut into quaint and attenuated shape. There is no such solitude in country places now as there was in those old days. Yet all the while, King George and his court were at his favourite seaside resort no more than five miles off. The daughter's seclusion was great, but beyond the seclusion of the girl lay the seclusion of the father. If her social condition was twilight, his was darkness. Yet he enjoyed his darkness, while her twilight oppressed her. Dr. Grove had been a professional man whose taste for lonely meditation over metaphysical questions had diminished his practice till it no longer paid him to keep it going, after which he had relinquished it and hired at nominal rent a small, dilapidated, half-farm, half-manor house of this obscure inland nook to make a sufficiency of an income which in a town would have been inadequate for their maintenance. He stayed in his garden the greater part of the day, growing more and more irritable with the lapse of time and the increasing perception that he had wasted his life in the pursuit of illusions. He saw his friends less and less frequently. Phyllis became so shy that if she met a stranger anywhere in her short rambles, she felt ashamed as his gaze walked awkwardly, blushed to her shoulders. Yet Phyllis was discovered even here by an admirer, and her hand most unexpectedly asked in marriage. The king, as aforesaid, was at the neighbouring town where he'd taken up his abode at Gloucester Lodge, and his presence in the town naturally brought many county people thither. Among these idlers, many of whom professed to have connections and interests with the court, was one Humphrey Gould, a bachelor, a personage neither young nor old, neither good-looking nor positively plain, too steady-going to be a buck, as fast and unmarried men were then called. He was an approximately fashionable man of a mild type. This bachelor of thirty found his way to the village on the down, beheld Phyllis, made her father's acquaintance in order to make hers, and by some means or other she sufficiently inflamed his heart to lead him in that direction almost daily till he became engaged to marry her. As he was of an old local family, some of whose members were held in respect in the county, Phyllis, in bringing him to her feet, had accomplished what was considered a brilliant move for one in her constrained position. How she had done it was not quite known to Phyllis herself. In those days, unequal marriages were regarded rather as a violation of the laws of nature than as a mere infringement of convention. The more modern view, and hence when Phyllis, of the watering-place bourgeoisie, was chosen by such a gentlemanly fellow, it was as if she were going to be taken to heaven. Though perhaps the uninformed would have seen no great difference in the respective positions of the pair, the said Gould being as poor as a crow. This pecuniary condition was his excuse, probably a true one, for postponing their union, and as the winter drew nearer and the king departed for the season, Mr. Humphrey Gould set out for Bath, promising to return to Phyllis in a few weeks. The winter arrived, the date of his promise passed, yet Gould postponed his coming on the ground that he could not very easily leave his father in the city of their sojourn, the elder having no other relative near him. Phyllis, though lonely in the extreme, was content. The man who had asked her in marriage was a desirable husband for her in many ways, 
Her father highly approved of his suit, but this neglect of her was awkward, if not painful, for Phyllis. Love him in the true sense of the word, she assured me she never did. But she had a genuine regard for him, admired a certain methodical and dogged way in which he sometimes took his pleasure, valued his knowledge of what the court was doing, had done, or was about to do, and she was not without a feeling of pride that he had chosen her when he might have exercised a more ambitious choice. But he did not come, and the spring developed. His letters were regular, though formal, and it is not to be wondered that the uncertainty of her position, linked with the fact that there was not much passion in her thought of Humphrey, bred an indescribable dreariness in the heart of Phyllis Grove. The spring was soon summer, and the summer brought the king, but still no Humphrey Gould. All this